All right. Um, thanks for sharing that. I just want to just reiterate um, a little bit about U-Turn for Christ. And U-Turn for Christ um, is a ministry of restoration. And the cool thing about that is even what we were talking about last week and we've been going over a few things is that our God's in the restoration business. And he has commissioned us as his kids to be about his business. We're in the family business. And, and, and we're called to be ministers of God's grace, ministers of God's love, and, and those vessels, like we were studying and listening to Dennis on Wednesday doing the potter's ministry here, were to be those vessels that God um, fills and pours out as he sees fit. And um, I have a connection to U-Turn for Christ. I've been involved with it for many years. But, but a deeper connection, as most of you guys know about my own past, that God also restored my life and delivered me from uh, a lifestyle of uh, drug and alcohol abuse and everything that goes along with that. And um, I know like Chris and a lot of the other guys and, and a lot of you that, I mean, I tried many, many different things, many, many different ways to be set free from that sin, that, that life of sin that had power over me. And uh, from being in jail, from being homeless, from being in and out of drug and alcohol treatment facilities, and, and none of the things that the world had to offer had the power to set me free. Uh, even when I did not want to be that man that I was, there was no hope. It was only, there was only trial and failure, trial and failure, and until, like Chris said, I come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to know about him through his word and to, to understand that God loves me and died for me and gave uh, his life to have a relationship with me and, and gave his life so that I could be set free from the sin that ruled my life. And it wasn't a work that I did. It was work that he did and continues to do in me, his power, by his strength. And no matter what sin you may have been delivered from or what sin you may be living with now that, that you're struggling with, know that God is bigger God is able, and the answer is Jesus. The answer is his word. The answer is to put your faith in him and allow for him to do that work in you and through you and see God restore, um, uh, to save you from that and to restore what that sin has eaten up. Well, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 19, if you want to open up your Bible there with me. Um, I have to tell you that this, in my opinion, and again, it's just opinion, but it's not doctrinal or theological, so... It really doesn't, it, this opinion matters, <laughs> but in the sense that it's not doctrinal or theological, but in my opinion, this is kind of perhaps one of the most disturbing chapters in all of scripture. And um, if, you, if you know where we're at, we're in the story of destruction of the Sodom and Gomorrah, and we've been leading up to that over the last um, really couple weeks and going through Genesis chapter 18 and, and setting a foundation and, and really uh, a, a reasoning behind and an answer for the, for the whys behind what we're reading here now. And in those two weeks that we've spent studying through chapter 18, we've looked at the things that were recorded in it, in chapter 18, through this lens of Abraham's friendship with God. It was a really cool thing um, to see uh, because we know that we too have been called the friends of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And, and God makes things known to us, and we talked about how that knowledge that we receive comes with a responsibility. And, and as we've looked at chapter 18 through that lens of Abraham's friendship with God, in doing so we have we've seen or we saw um, how those 
This is the key for us, how those who remain in fellowship with God and walk by faith are blessed in many ways by God. Now, does God bless those who aren't in his will and who aren't walking by faith? Sure. The Bible tells us that God causes it to rain down on the just and the unjust. And for the purpose, we're told, that it's God's loving kindness, it's that merciful blessing that God pours out that draws him into the place of repentance, that draws us to repentance. However, as we begin to look at chapter 18 in light of chapter 19 and see it as a contrast, the truth is, is if you, if you really want to live a life that's blessed by God, it's got to be lived by faith. It's got to be according to God's ways. And as we continue on and study through chapter 19, what we see is, is we see the opposite. We see the contrast or the converse of what we've just been reading about in chapter 8. And we see how Lot now, who had, if you remember, as we been studying through this and and reading about Lot and how he got to the place where he is at that we come to here in chapter 19, is that we see that Lot had raised his eyes up towards Sodom. And at that moment and in that time, he began to make a decision to spend his life walking by sight. He lifted his eyes to see what he could see, and he made the decision to live his life in accordance with to his own understanding, to his own wisdom, to his own desires, and not by faith. He only lifted his eyes to the plains of Jordan, we're told. And he did not live his life in accordance to faith as Abraham had done, and as a result, Lot suffered many consequences. Furthermore, when we consider the events that are recorded here in chapter 19, as I already kind of alluded to, we're going to see many contrasts. And that's how I want to kind of go through this this chapter is, is, is draw back from chapter 18 and, 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 re, and see these revealed contrasts between Abraham's life and Lot's life. And, and as we see them revealed, what we see is we see how destruction comes when we are led according to our own understanding or by our own desires for the things of this life. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I mean, I think we all in some way or some form and fashion, and maybe even right now you're in that place where you're being led according to your own understanding by your own desires of the things of this life, and you're reaping the rewards consequently as a result of that. And this chapter, as it re- records the sad consequences of Lot's spiritual decline, we see that it was rooted in his desire. Here's the key. As we read this chapter, which records the sad consequences of Lot's spiritual decline, we see that it was all rooted in his desire to be a friend of the world rather than the friend of God. Let's pray. Father, as we study through your word and read it now, we ask for your understanding. We pray, God, that you would reveal to us. We desire revelation, a knowledge of you, an understanding of you, an experience of you, even this morning, that you would touch us in our hearts, that you would speak truth to our, to our minds, and, and God, that those things would transcend in such a way that it would apply to our lives. God, you alone have the ability to reach each one of us right where we're at this morning, not my words, but your word does through the power of your spirit. And God, I know that's what you desire to do. You've drawn us together in this place, and you've drawn us individually so that we might fellowship with each other, but more importantly, have fellowship with you. God, your will is what we desire Please take our lives into your hands again and do as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pick up here, chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Now 
the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. And right there we know that Lot has no clue. He's completely in the dark to what's going on. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in this open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do, not, only do nothing to these men since they, or since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. Now he will deal, now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. And man, that's, that's profound in verse 11. But let's stop there and, and we'll continue to read on through the rest of this chapter in just a little bit. But in these first verses, there are many obvious contrast that we can see between Abraham and Lot for us to take note of. And the first is the fact, is a simple fact that they're in different places, right? They're in different places. And, and, and the different places that they had chosen to dwell in, that's what we see as an initial contrast. Remember back in chapter 18, uh, we are told that when the Lord had appeared to Abraham with these two angels who had continued on to Sodom, that, that when the Lord appeared to him before he went to, the, to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, that we've seen that Abraham was sitting in the, tor- in the door of his tent, which was by, we're told, the terebinth trees of Mamre. But here in verse 1 of this chapter, of chapter 19, we're told a lot was sitting in the gates of Sodom, in the city gates of Wat- Sodom, a, a, a wicked city, that he was now calling his home. And in Hebrews chapter 11, I'm not going to read from there this morning, but I would encourage you to go and read that, 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 that chapter of faith of, of, of men of the Old Testament and women of the Old Testament in faith. Go there and read it because it really gives a great overview of we've been, been going through these accounts of what we've been reading now in light of walking by faith. But in, in chapter 11, it tells us that Abraham gives us some clarity in regards to these dwelling places between Lot and, and, and Abraham. It says that Abraham had chosen to live in a tent and in the land that God had called him to, a foreign land, a land that, that um, he did not know. And that Abraham did this, a man of faith, because he believed that he was a sojourner. 
an alien, some translations say, a pilgrim who was passing through this world, and as, as a result of believing this, we're told that he by faith then looked upward towards his heavenly home that was being built by God. On the contrary, Lot, according to chapter 13, when we first saw Lot make this decision, we're told again that he had lifted his eyes to the plains of Jordan, and then he began to walk by sight when he then moved his tent, because he had been dwelling in a tent at that time as well, but he had moved his tent away from Abraham and pitched it near the city of Sodom. Then in chapter 14, as we continue to read this progression of Lot, we're told that Lot soon afterward moved from the city or from the plains of Jordan there into the very city of Sodom. And now we see that he's even progressed further in his move in that his current location is now sitting within the city gates. And, and, and this is relevant because it reveals to us how, how, how Lot had not only geographically moved within the city, but he had moved to become a part of this city. And he had even risen to a place of authority, one as a judge or as an overseer, considering at this, this time in these ancient cities, the city gates is where the official business was conducted. In the light of this, we can see that Lot, that when he first, like you said, lifted up his eyes and decided to move near the city of Sodom, he began living for and looking to the things of this world. Living for the things of this world. Looking to the things of this world. Consequently, when that happened for Lot, the same thing happens for us when we do the same thing in that Lot's vision for the eternal became blurred. When Lot lifted his eyes to the plains of Jordan, began to make this progression which eventually landed him in this wicked city where we read about these evil and wicked things going on, is that in doing so, Lot getting his eyes off of God and onto the things of this life, his vision for the eternal became blurred. He lost sight of who he was in, in God, what God had called him to, and furthermore, what God had set before him also as a heavenly city. And, 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 and more importantly, I think, as we see here, is that his spiritual senses became dull. And as a result, he began to assimilate with the citizens of Sodom. And Lot's life, it examples a warning for us as we see how he allowed for a series of really what we might define as small compromises, little steps, as he allowed for a series of small compromises to get his eyes of God and out of God's will, which in turn took him to the place where he lost nearly everything. Remember, we, we have put our faith in Jesus. The Bible tells us that we also have that heavenly home that Abraham had been looking forward to. We have that same heavenly home that we too are looking forward to. And, 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 and light out, we must not lift our eyes to things of this life or seek to be like those who are of this world. That's what life, Lot's life examples to us. At the very least, rather, we must keep our eyes focused on eternity, which reminds us of the fact, and this is the cool thing about looking into eternity, but eternity reminds us of the fact that we have better things waiting for us. Fill in the blank of whatever that is. Better than what? Anything that this life has to offer. We have better things waiting for us. 
And, and we must walk the path that God sets before us. And when we stray either to the right as we do or to the left like we do or when we stumble and fall in those moments, we need to get up and we need to turn as quickly as possible back to that path that God has called us to walk on. So listen, guys, to be in the world, as we're told, and not of the world is a challenge. It is. There's things that, that we desire that are of this world, that our flesh desires, that we partake of, and even at times go, just a little bit won't hurt. We're going to talk about that too as we read on. But, but for now, there, we know that to be in the world and, and of the world is, is a challenge. And, and, and yet the only way to do this, to be as believers who are in this world and not of the world and, and, and still remain in the place that God would have us be, the only way that this can, can happen to, to, to not be overcome by this world or become like this world while we're in it is to walk by faith. And walking by faith is, is that, that safety net for us so that we don't become like Lot. And as we walk by faith, we keep our eyes fixed upon God. That's what we're doing. Walking by faith means keeping your eyes fixed upon God. Now, before we continue on, there are a couple other things that need to be pointed out. The first has to do with this false idea. And, 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 and I know that's probably this, this, this idea isn't really relevant into our church here. But as a whole, it is. And it's this false idea that Christians should have no business even associating with those who are of this world. And, and I believe that's an ever-growing idea because of the evil conditions that the world has now declined to. Many people will say it's worse than it's ever been. I don't know if that's true or not. I think back over the world, history of the world, and there's been some pretty dark times. But that's not to say that it's not pretty evil and pretty dark now. It is. And some people look at that and go, well, this is why as believers we should now have nothing to do with the world at all. There's no in the world and no of the world. We should be separate, isolated. And yeah, we're called to be separate, but, but not isolated. In other words, there are many followers of Jesus today who believe that we should have no interaction with the world. And they make this case in part by coming to passages like this and pointing out how Lot, who was a righteous man, that's what we're told, that he should not have been living in Sodom. Who would agree with that statement, that Lot should not have been living in Sodom? Yeah, I mean, because of where Lot was at and what was going on, yeah, that was very, very clear. He should not have been there. And even though we can agree that Lot should not have been living in, in Sodom, there's not some kind of biblical proof or evidence for, for not associating with unbelievers who are still in this world. In fact, if Lot had been, let me challenge you with this, if Lot had been in a right relationship with God... And if Lot had been walking by faith, I believe God could have directed him right to the city of Sodom to live beyond the, wall, the gates of Sodom, establish a home there, and in doing so, fulfill God's divine purposes. After all, we know that it was God who put Joseph where? In Egypt. Daniel in Babylon. And Furthermore, he put Esther in Persia. And, and, and each one of these people's presence while living there among those ungodly people, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, and the Persians, is as we know that their presence there, as God orchestrated that and, 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 and put them there, that it brought forth a blessing. Turned out to be a blessing. 
The reason why I point this out is because we can sometimes get, get misguided in, in what we think that the problem really is. And, and the problem that we see with Lot that we can probably define in our own lives at times too that we struggle with is this word worldliness, right? Man, that Christian is worldly. We, we, we struggle with that. We point others out and, 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 and we use that wordage. But the point is, is worldliness is not a matter of physical geography. And I say that for some personal reasons, but also to help us move probably maybe in a place where we can find ourselves at sometimes struggling with, with trying to be in the world and not of the world and thinking that the only answer is to just be separate. I'm just going to move up on the mountains. I'm just going to have my own little church, and, and that's going to be it. I ain't going to talk to anybody. I ain't going to hang around any sinners, and I'm going to be fine, right? You know, when, when Colorado passed the marijuana laws, my wife and I are praying about, man, we do not want to live here any longer. We knew that the full paid ads, ads were coming, and it's like, do you really want to raise your kid in that kind of environment where they're just inundated with this sinful lifestyle that the world calls good? And, and, the, and, and the reaction is, is to flee to Texas <laughs> or, or I don't know where, you know, where you, don't, where you don't have these kinds of things. It's an isolation kind of attitude. But the point is, whether it's a geographical move or even in our own hearts where we just go, I just got to protect myself from worldliness, you have to understand that worldliness is not a matter of geography. Your kids aren't going to be worldly just simply because you put them in public school. I've known some really worldly homeschooled kids. You see what I'm saying? Worldliness, and, 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 and apply that to your own lives because, again, worldliness is not a matter of physical geography. Worldliness is an attitude of the heart, and that's what we see here revealed with Lot is an attitude of the heart. And this is revealed, this overall truth about worldless, worldliness not being a physical uh, geography or a positioning of where you're at, rather an attitude of heart, is revealed to us by First by John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, which says this. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world... The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. An attitude of the heart. Therefore, as we walk by faith, right? This is what it kind of surrounds us in, is this walking by faith. And as we walk by faith and have hearts that are turned to and guided by God, you know what we should expect? We should expect for God to put us in places where we can shine as a light into the darkness. Just like he did with Joseph. Just like he did with Daniel. Just like he did with Esther. Now the fact that Lot had a heart problem is further evident by a second contrast that is revealed in these following verses. Or in the verses that follow. And even though Lot spoke of himself in verse 2, if you look there, as a servant, and then proceeded to, to serve these angels who had come to him, just like his uncle Abraham had done in the previous chapter, we see that when these things began to go bad, okay, when all the circumstances and the situations that happened that night, when, that, when, it really went be, to begin, when it really began to go bad, with the citizens of Sodom from everywhere, both old and young, coming to Lot's house and demanding in verse 5 for Lot to give these men over to them so that they could literally have sex with them. And when these things went bad, 
Oh, and, and not only that, this is how bad it went. I, 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 this blows my mind. I just want to point it out. If you notice there in verse 8 that um, when the men would not even be deterred by Lot's pleas <laughs> to not do this wicked thing, his answer or his solution in verse 8 was to turn his two virgin daughters over to these men. Yet God's guys were there. God's men, his angels were there, and they intervened, and they pulled Lot, we're no ba- we knew, back into the house and out of the hands of these men who had turned to even harming him. And then in verse 11, we see that, that, that these men who had been blinded by the angels, these wicked men, we see that amazingly, not even their blindness deterred them from trying to find their way in the house. Now, I don't know about you. But if I had been blinded in that situation, I might try to find my way back home. But you see the depth of depravity here that had taken place and a hold of these people's hearts as a result of years and years and years of giving themselves over and hardening their hearts. That, that they, they lingered at the house and they, and they tried finding the door, it says, until they grew weary. But in light of Lot's willingness to turn his two daughters over to these men, we have to wonder what had happened to Lot's personal values. What had happened? What would, what would take a man who knew the truth and lived among Abraham, such a godly man, under his home and in his influence, what had happened to him to the point where he as a father would give his two youngest daughters over to a mob of men? What had happened? And because this seems so unbelievable for a person whom the Bible refers to as a, a righteous man, that's the other thing to put into this equation. It's just, you, you know, you might expect this of a citizen of Sodom and Gomorrah who you knew that God was going to destroy, but someone as the Bible, that the Bible refers to as a, as a righteous man. And, 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 and it seems unbelievable for, for him to do this. And so in light of that, I want to point out, first of all, just to have some clarity, as much as I've researched it and as much as I've tried to figure it out, there's no, absolutely no historical or cultural reasoning that we may not be aware of that might explain why Lot was willing to give up his daughters. In other words, there's no excuse. In fact, the only right conclusion that we can come to in this is that Lot had become so hard-hearted and so negatively influenced by the Sodomites that he was willing to do something that, that was clearly evil by concluding that it was the right or the good thing to do. And I have to tell you that I know that in my life I've been in that place where I've done things and have said things and lived in a way before I gave my life to Christ where, where, where I didn't even measure up to the standard that I set for myself, where I laid there in bed and I go, I cannot believe this is the person that I've become. And when I look at, look at Lot through that understanding, I, it, it makes a little bit of sense. It, it helps me to understand. And, and, and I know how Lot got there. The Bible tells us that. And what we see here as, as, as we look at Lot's life is we see that Lot had got to this place because his conscience had been seared. His conscience had been hard. His ability to discern good and evil had become dull, his spiritual senses. And it had become seared from living with the Sodomites. The Bible says that his soul was vexed, oppressed, and tormented. And there was a hardening that took place, a dullness that took place, that took hold of him. 
to the point where he thought that this evil thing was the right thing to do. Another reason I point that out, guys, because truly that's where the people who are in unbelief today are at. They believe that the things that they are doing, that they're promoting, that they're even trying to get passed through our court systems today and through, through the greater legislation on the federal level, that we look at and go, oh my gosh, that's wrong, that's evil. These things that are trying to take place, understand, because their conscience is seared, because their hard heart is hard because they're spiritually dull. They don't have the Holy Spirit of God discerning. They only have the conviction from an outer point of view, which we are to be those, those points of conviction as the Holy Spirit lives through us. But, but they, they're in that spiritual blindness, that spiritual darkness. And therefore, it affords us a responsibility, which we'll get to a little bit later on. But, but as we see this, it's clear that Lot was becoming like the Sodomites. Was it not? And this is further evident by the fact that he even, if you notice in verse 7, look, what does he call them? His brethren. He refers to them as his brethren. In light of, these, in light of this, uh, in, uh, well, the whole, in light of all of these things which are disturbing, disturbing it's, it's, it's hard for me, maybe not for you, but it's hard for me to accept the fact that Lot was declared or considered a righteous man. Yet in 2 Peter chapter 2, we are told that Lot was a saved man, a delivered man, who had a union with God. But it's clear that Lot did not have a friendship with God. If anything was different between Abraham and Lot that brought forth these consequences and took him to this place, we have to discern that it was this friendship of God like Abraham had. And, and, and this is why Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 that Lot was saved, yet as by fire. And even though his soul was daily oppressed and tormented while living with these wicked people, and all of these things we see are important for us to understand because as we see them and we understand them, what it does is it helps us to remember this one important thing is that our righteousness is completely a gift from God. Our righteousness is a gift from God. Lot's righteousness was a gift from God. It is a gift, it says, righteousness that comes by grace through faith, believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that God raised him from the dead. And by confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, God's righteousness was given to us in exchange for our own sinfulness. We have to look at this through the eyes of grace, through the lens of grace. Not only as we look back to what Lot had done, but then look currently into our own lives so that we don't become self-righteous when we think, oh, look, now I'm a little good, <sighs> right? But as we even take that lens of grace and look at it and apply it to the lives of those who are still out there in the world who need what we need, grace, forgiveness, and the righteousness of God. Yet as we see here with Lot, we must understand that there's a cost. There's a cost to turning to the things of this world. And I know that we all know this to some measure, personally. But there's a loss to turning to the things of this world. And all throughout Scripture, God calls us to live in obedience to Him in order that it says, He says over and over again when He gave the law, He said, do this, keep my commands so that it 
might go well with you. So that our lives might be filled with God's joy and God's peace. Furthermore, God's desire is for us to have life. He tells us this, right? Life and what? Life abundantly. But we, like Lot, have been made and called righteous through our faith in God and Jesus' Son, Jesus Christ. You know, the thing about that is we still get to choose what kind of life we want to live. Those of us who have been called by grace through faith and have the righteousness of the Son of God given to us, we still have the right and the ability to live our lives. God gives it to us to choose what kind of life we want to live. Yet we need to see that when we disobey God, what we're doing is we're exchanging the joy, peace, and abundant life that God has for us literally for oppression and torment. And the Bible tells us that when this life is over, the way that we have lived, the choices that we have made will be judged by fire, and the Bible says that even for believers, there will be rewards and there will be losses. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15, it tells us of this saying, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. And if any man builds upon that foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, Paul writes and he says that, that the works will be shown. His works will be shown for what it is. In other words, how we build, how we live our lives, what we do with what we've been given. Paul says they're going to be judged because that day, the day of judgment, will bring it to light. And he says it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If If what he has built survives, he'll receive a reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. And he himself yet will be saved, but only as one, he says, escaping by flames. Guys, sometimes we sin and we live a life that's contrary to God. We disobey. We all do it. And sometimes we do it and we, 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 we appear to have gotten away with it. Where God pours out his grace and we are free from the consequences. And you're, you're like, oh. But God says there's an eternal consequence to that that cannot be escaped. And it's not an issue of heaven or hell, but it's an issue of how did you build with your life what did you do and God says that we will all have fire applied to that I imagine it in my eyes I picture it and I get up in heaven and I'm standing before God and God has my life kind of figuratively spoken piled there and 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 there's some hay and there's some straw and there's some some stubble and 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 hopefully there's a little gold and silver and some of these things that are reflected things that are precious and things that were we're going to be consumed by the fire, and God's going to apply that. And what I know and what I can put together from Scripture is, is that these things, however they work out, are somehow going to be a, be a blessing and a benefit in, to me in addition to the fact that I just made it to heaven. And I don't know what that all looks like, but there's going to be some kind of reward, something that I'm going to go, yes, I get this for all eternity. But on the other hand, we're going to look at that because of the things we did and how we allowed for worldliness to influence us and guide what we do and guide what we say and take hold of our hearts, that those things are going to be consumed and it's going to be ash and we're going to be like, oh, I thought I had so much more than this. And there's going to be a loss. So just because we 
think that we can get away with it here, or God's grace may extend to us here, and we don't reap the consequences like we see Lot reaping the consequences, be for certain that on Judgment Day, all things will be brought into account. That's why it's important to live by faith. Not just because of the, the, the consequences that we might receive here, but because there's an eternal perspective that we must keep as we go through this. How does this affect eternity? In verse 12, as we continue on, it says, these angels, it says, Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here? He's speaking about those in the city, a son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whosoever you have in the city. Take them out of this place. And now here's the message. He says, For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out, and he spoke to his son-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up! Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But the son-in-laws, but the son-in-law seemed, but to his son-in-laws he seemed to be joking, not taken seriously. Man, our testimony is so affected. The words that we have to say are so affected by the way we live. Are they not? Verse 15, when the morning dawned and the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them out of the outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. I think at that point you would be like, yes, I'm leaving. Just let me get there. But it says in verse 18, Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant is, if your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life but i cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and i die so now the city is near enough to flee this city is near enough to, to is, is near enough to flee and it is a little one please let me escape there is it not a little one and my soul shall live and he said to them see i have favored you concerning this thing in that I will not overflow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of that city was called Zoar. And the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. And the Lord rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities and all the plains and the inhabitants of the cities on which grew on the ground. But his wife, Lot's wife, looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went out early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And there then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities and the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Now, if you look back to verses 12 and 13, um, we begin to see another point of contrast between Abraham and Lot. In that God's message to Abraham, if you remember from chapter 18, God's message to Abraham was a joyful message. 
As he told Abraham and his wife Sarah, he's saying, listen, a year from now, you're going to have the son of promise. Isaac, he'd even given the name. His name means laughter for various reasons, as you know, we've been studying through it. But, but God had come and given this joyous message of a promise of the son that would be there within a year. But the message that God was now delivering to Lot, it wasn't a joyful message. And frankly, as you put, if you were to put yourself in that situation, the word that would come to mind with the news of these angels and, and knowing who they are and what they could do and what they had come to do, that message was a frightening message. Considering God was going to destroy Sodom and everything in it, yet because God loved, here's the key, yet because God loved Lot and loves us, guys, the words he speaks are always truth and the things he reveals by them to us are always relevant for where we are at and what we are doing. That's what a loving God does. He always tells the truth and it is always applicable right to where we're at. In other words, God will always tell us what we need to hear. But the fact of the matter is, all of us would rather hear God's words of blessing rather than uh, blessings and promise rather than words of discipline um, that correct or warn us of some kind of impending danger that perhaps that we've gotten ourselves into. But once again, we see how how we choose to walk determines the message that God will deliver to us. How we choose to walk, whether it's by faith or by sight, will determine the message that God needs to deliver to us. And even though Lot may have been frightened by this message, it was what he needed to hear in order to be saved from the judgment and the destruction that was coming. It was the truth. Likewise, this is where it gets real for us, the message to those who are still lost in this world today is that judgment is coming. And I'm here to tell you that the church is failing miserable at getting this message out. The church is more concerned about making a comfortable place for unbelievers to come and sit and never tell them the truth about sin, about death, and about hell. And that's not loving. It's not what they need to hear. It's not the truth. They need to hear that judgment is coming. Unless people confess their sins, this is what they need to be told, and turn away from their wicked way and turn to God, they will not be able to stand on the day of judgment. And the Bible says clearly that they will be condemned to an everlasting death. And if you're not willing to tell people who are outside of these walls, who are still lost in their sins, that message of truth, then you're not accurately reflecting the message that God needs to be spoken. Conversely, the Lord's message to us. What's the message to us? His message to us are His people about this message of coming judgment. This message also contains a promise. The one that is spoken here and the bigger message that we find throughout all of Scripture. It's a promise to rescue us. That's God's message to us. I'm going to rescue you from this judgment that's to come. And he says, when I rescue you, I'm going to bring you into everlasting life. And in this account of the destruction of Sodom, Lot's rescue really gives us a picture of what we refer to as the rapture of the church, which is written about in passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And in these passages, we're told how God will save those of us from his wrath, which is to come. And we see this pictured here in Genesis chapter 19. And as we see represented specifically in verse 22, we see that the wrath and the judgment of God that came upon the city of Sodom and Gomorrah was delayed until Lot was safely out of the city. A righteous man who was saved by grace. However, as Lot made his escape, we see two other things that need our attention. The first is this ridiculous pleading of Lot in verses 19 and 20. To not have to escape to the mountains, but to be allowed to flee to a city of Zoar, which was nearby. Still in the plains. And then miraculously, all the other cities were destroyed except for this one. Because Lot was in it. And we see Lot, as he makes his case, he says, is it not a little one? Is it not a little one? It's not like Sodom, it's not big, it's little. And I think the implication was more, was, goes beyond the actual size of the city or the population of the city. And clearly Lot, we see, he was not willing to let go of the life that he had grown accustomed to, even though it was filled with evil and wicked things that oppressed and tormented his soul and eventually brought to him such a great destruction. Such great loss. And as crazy as this might seem to us, the fact of the matter is, is we are all too often just like Lot in that we're unwilling to completely turn away from our sins that are harming us, that are hurting us, that are destroying us. In fact, we even at times justify our decisions with the same thoughts of Lot saying things like, it's not as bad as what I was doing or as bad as where I was at. In other words, is it not just a little one? And we foolishly exclaim these things, yet Jesus clearly said in Matthew chapter 18, verses 8 and 9, guys, in regards to turning away from our sin, he said, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, he says, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter into life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet or be thrown into an eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. If your TV's causing you to sin, guys, throw it away because there's something better for you in eternity. If your computer's causing you to sin, throw it away. If your iPhone or your, any of these things in this life that we think are so awesome and so great that we figure we cannot do without, if it's causing you to sin and you cannot be set free from it, God's word to us is to throw it away because there's something better for us in eternity. And Jesus spoke of these things like this because truthfully, a little sin is just as destructive as a lot of sin. And I believe this is exampled in what, what happened next with Lot. So sad that in his willingness to completely turn away and in his unwillingness to make a stand for himself and for his wife and two kids who remain, a stand for what was good and right, a negative influence then was brought into his home upon his wife and his daughters. Men, I'm speaking to you this morning. I'm speaking to myself. If we're not willing to stand in those places without compromise and, 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 and going, this is good, this is right, understand that it will have an effect on our household. It will. 
And in verse 26, we're told that Lot's wife, she looked back behind him. That's not there by coincidence. She looked back behind him, meaning Lot. Lot's brought into this. And there's this connection between her behavior and Lot here. And it says she was turned into a pillar of salt. Now, certainly Lot's wife was held accountable for her own actions. We see that. But perhaps... If Lot had offered strong leadership and a decisive decision to completely turn away from that previous way of life, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. If he'd have said, no, we're leaving, we're going to the mountains, we're forsaking this, we're going to be saved, we're putting God's will in our lives, we're leaving it all behind. Perhaps that would have influenced his wife in a godly way. And I say this because the implications of the text in the Hebrew language suggest that Lot's wife's looking back was more than just a glance. It was more than just, I wonder what was happening. See, Lot's wife's looking back was a gazing upon the city, it says in the original text, in, in such a way that she was longing for what was there, and it revealed her desire to remain there and partake in all that the city had to offer her. In light of this, I think we need to ask ourselves, what are the things of this world that we long for Guys, what are the things of this world that we long for that have infiltrated into our hearts where Christ now dwells? What are those things? Because these things are what stand in the way of us going where God would take us today. God has a plan for our lives. He has places for us to go. And the things of this world that have infiltrated our heart that we long for, that we gaze on, they keep us from going to the place that God would take us today. It's these things that stand in the way of God's will for our lives. It's these things that ultimately rob us of the joy and the peace that God has, has bought for us with his own life. It's these things that oppress us, not bless us. And it's these things ultimately that torment our souls and keeps us, and, 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 and keeps us from living the life that God has ordained for us to live. Now the last point of contrast I want to make, what I want to point out is in verses 27 and 28. And um, in verses 27 and 28, it says, Then Abraham answered and said, oh, excuse me, in verses 27 and 28, it says that Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, smoke went up from the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And I point that out because in these verses we see that Abraham, in the distance, was able to see the destruction of Sodom. But the more important thing to notice is that he lost nothing. Abraham lost nothing, but Lot, on the contrary, as a contrast, he lost everything. The only thing that was spared was his life. And because Abraham followed God in faith, he brought a blessing upon the world. But because Lot moved by what he could see and his desires for the things of this world, he brought trouble into the world. And as you read on, if you know the rest of the story, we even know that he had two children born to him from his daughters. As his daughters get him drunk after this whole thing, and he laid with them, and they conceived, and it tells us that as a result of that, the nations of the Amorites and the Moabites were born. 
And not only were these an evil and idolatrous people, we know that they were a people who plagued the children of God, the children of Israel, for years and years and years. You can read ahead. The worship team can come up, and, and we're going to close with this. And, and you can read that account for yourself. And I don't want to ignore it, but we're running out of time, and I don't want to go into details, but you can figure out for yourself, I'm sure, that what took place there was wrong. <laughs> but in closing, I want to point out that while it's true that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of God's righteous judgment, matter of fact, in the New Testament, in Jude chapter or Jude verse seven, it tells us that 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 destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is an example of God's righteous judgment. And as true as that is, it's also true from what we've been studying here that God loves sinners. The, Sodom, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham and with Lot all into the mix, it's clear that God loves sinners. And it's seen in this story because not only do we know that God was long-suffering towards Sodom and Gomorrah, giving them much time, the people there, to repent, to turn away from their sins, we also know that the Lord God was willing to listen to Abraham intercede on their behalf. Where God would even say, for the sake of ten people, if there were ten righteous people in the city, God said he would save the whole. That he would turn away from his judgment. Furthermore, when the time came for these cities to be burned up, we know that he sent his angels to rescue Lot, a sinner, and his family, who were sinners, even though ten righteous people could not even be found. God loves sinners. And these actions are a perfect picture of one verse that stands out in my mind, Romans chapter 5, verse 20, which tells us, it says, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. The point is, Lot did not deserve to be delivered, did he? But the fact of the matter is, it is not one of us who deserves to be saved from the wrath that is to come. Not one of us deserves it. And even though we may have not committed the same sins as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, clearly we are sinners just the same. And apart from our faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot be saved from the judgment to come. That message and the work that God's done in our lives is how we need to be a light in the time that we have left. Father, we thank you for this time. God, as we worship you with this last song, Father, I pray that you would direct our hearts towards you, that you would root these truths deep in them. God, that we would again see how we should turn away from the things of this world that have crept in. They do creep in. And God, that we would live holy and pure lives set apart unto you so that we may be sent and that we may do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. We stand